welcome back. I'm Ollie from near Philadelphia. I'm Sina from Ohio. And this is Backlist and Chill, season 11, the final episode, episode three. <laughs> like, fuck. Finally. God. We are talking about L.J. Smith's Dark Visions, and like I said, book three, mm-hmm. The Passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Slightly more relevant. Yeah, slightly. Mm. Alcohol. You're necessary. <laughs> so here at Backlist Podcast, we read old books that we liked. At least one of us. <laughs> I was like, I had no part in this. This was not my decision. I <laughs> never liked out. it. I never asked for this. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. Not even as a child. I wouldn't joke about making you read this, children. <laughs> and fellow adults. Um, <laughs> God, I hope so. And then we drink about them and talk about them. Mm-hmm. So what are you drinking today, Ollie? So today I am drinking not absinthe. <gasps> I know. Gasp. The reason I'm not drinking absinthe is because I am down pet sitting. And I had uh, two two parts of this choice. One was not driving with a bottle of open alcohol in my mm-hmm, car, even mm-hmm. though like I could put it in the trunk, you know, be fine. Just didn't want to risk it. Second part was I knew there was no way that this third book was going to be worth the last of my, <laughs> my beautiful absinthe blanche. I'm not going to desecrate it. I couldn't. I need it to be for at least a book I can rant about. <laughs> so when I got here, headed up to the grocery store, I was really hoping they would have that like peach apple cider from mm-hmm. last uh, autumn. They did not. I'm very sad. So I grabbed two cans of something that looked drinkable and then today i decided which one i was going to drink Mm -hmm. so what i have is it is a can of smirnoff ice smash which is a screwdriver Mm -hmm. and then some store-bought ginger ale and i looked this up and this is apparently if i had grapefruit juice it would be called something but no this is nothing and it sounds good really good yeah I, I quite like it. Now, the funny thing is, is that to me, mm-hmm. it tastes like less harsh Mountain Dew. Okay. Okay. So if you think of Mountain that. Dew and, yeah, like that weird kind of uh, taste in it, mm-hmm. get rid of that. And that's this. Is it good? Do you like it? Oh, yeah. It's real good. I've been drinking this. Okay. Good. Good, 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 good. This is a dangerous drink. I could drink a lot of it. Oh, no. Smirnoff Thankfully, good, I only though. have the one can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other one was a my card lemonade, and I'm like, mm, also good. I made the better choice. <laughs> <laughs> this has more flavor, you know. Yeah, that's fair. But a lemonade ginger ale wouldn't have been bad. I couldn't come up with what to call it. Okay. But I've decided that I think what I'm going to call it is a work in progress in honor of this book. <laughs> Even though uh-huh. it's delicious and I really like it. This drink, 10,000 times better than this book. <laughs> you don't deserve this drink book. It doesn't. I thought I was just making something kind of, you know, a drink. <laughs> this drink is way too good for this book. <laughs> oh, also, before I ask you about your drink, I do want to give a heads up that the friend's house I'm sitting, they've got new neighbors with children and people get loud. There's an old man dog who huffs and puffs mm. and there's a cat. So you might hear some noises can't control background voices 
What are you drinking? Uh, so I did not want to try to think of a drink for this book. Like, I feel like I googled all of the relevant keywords in the first book and came up with nothing. So <laughs> there's nothing in these books. There wasn't. There was no relevant like crystals or psychics or anything. Oh, that's what I had thought I might call it. What's that? A dark psychic screwdriver. That's pretty good. Yeah. But I, like I do that. think it's still a work in progress. So so what do you got? Um, so I just made a drink with what I had in my pantry. I love it because that's what it feels like LJ Smith did with this book. <laughs> right. So I just made uh, an iced coffee and put Ooh. some uh, coffee liqueur and some fireball in there. And we had some cream left over from a dinner that we made. So I dumped some cream in there. Um, and I made just an, an alcoholic iced coffee. Um, I like that with fireball too. So it's yeah, got a little kick. You can't really taste the fireball. I probably didn't put enough in there. It mostly just tasted like cream and water with a coffee aftertaste <laughs> oh weird but you know it's it's fine i had a good iced coffee with lunch so i it's fine what you calling it mm. i don't know i wanted to come up with something having to do with like connecting to caitlin in her water bath but Oh. Uh, I can't think of anything good, so I'm just going to call it The Possessed. <laughs> Wait, you mean The Passion? No, The Possessed. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it doesn't really have anything to do with the book. I I would call that drink mm-hmm. Up All Night to Not Go Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a long name. <laughs> Well, because you can't call it up all night to get crazy, but I guess you no. could. <laughs> no, uh, well, yeah, to to try to get crazy, but it didn't work in parentheses. <laughs> These paragraph long titles are excellent because <laughs> it feels so relevant to this goddamn book. Like we also didn't edit the titles, so it's on theme. <laughs> We're not even going to edit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That would be both wonderful for me and terrible for everybody else. Yeah, I'd be real sad. So, <sighs> the blurb. Yes. All right, I'm popping on over to Goodreads. Okay. Since I have the omnibus and there ain't nothing on the back. Oh, okay. You ready? Yep, do it. Dark Visions number three, The Passion by L.J. Smith. Betrayed! Yes. Caitlin Fairchild. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got an exclamation mark. Caitlin Fairchild and her four psychic friends nearly escape from the evil Mr. Zetas until Gabriel defects from the Institute. Desperate to break the intimacy of their telepathic link, he becomes the enemy and hunter of Caitlin's group. Rob is determined to destroy Gabriel if he has to, but Kate can't let that happen. On her own, she leaves her friends and returns to the Institute, pretending to join Mr. Zetas. But... When her reckless gamble goes wrong, will Gabriel save her or betray her again? And when the final battle comes, will Caitlin choose Rob or Gabriel? Light or darkness? (laughs) This fucking blurb. I love that it starts with the exclamation point. It makes it feel like the beginning of a Star Wars crawl. And I just really, I enjoy that. 
<laughs> a long time ago in a California far, far away. <laughs> right. This blurb. Yeah. I feel like this is what LJ thought she was writing. Like, if you asked her, I'm sure she'd tell you this is what the book is. Yeah. I mean, is this accurate-ish? I mean, desperate to bake to break the intimacy of their telepathic link, he becomes the enemy and hunter of Caitlin's group. Like, because we start this immediately, we don't get to see that. Right. And then Rob being determined to destroy Gabriel if he has to, he's not. Right, that doesn't happen. No. He's not like, I'm gonna destroy this dude. <laughs> they all just literally go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we did our best. We'll deal with it tomorrow. Like, Right, get some motherfucking sleep, kids. I was I was listening to another podcast where they're talking about how like you know, the people in the ring who have like seven days to live and they're like doing all their research and then like at some point they just decide that they're tired and they've done enough research for the day so they go home to go to sleep. It's like, no, my dude, you have seven days. Like, <laughs> burn the midnight oil. Seriously. I can stay up pretty fucking late. <laughs> right? And, and you know and what? And I've got many more days than that. <laughs> right? And if I'm going to die in seven days, you know what? I will take a monster and I'll keep reading. <laughs> I'll take a 36 energy. Right. 36 hour energy. We'll take one right after the other. We'll drink we'll drink that coffee drink. <laughs> that being said, uh I mean they did kind of win, so might as well go to sleep. Like Yeah. Yeah. This this blurb I'm sure got a lot of people to read it. It sounds exciting. Yeah. And the whole will she choose Rob or Gabriel, that that will get a kid to be like, mm, okay. <laughs> right. Well, and if you've read the last two, you know. Right, even though Gabriel literally fucking left. So yeah, that's the blurb, and I'm not too mad that I didn't read it ahead of time because I don't read them ahead of time. But like, it does a pretty good job of not giving everything away. Right, like this is the premise. Yeah. More or less. Right, it's not entirely true, and it does amp up, <laughs> but it is. Not giving away all the twists. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good on them. You want to talk about the cover? Sure. Uh, So this cover is probably the best of all three of the old, like, 1994 uh, Archway paperback covers. It is a uh, an illustration of Caitlin facing the camera with her head tilted up towards the light, presumably. Uh, she's still not a fucking redhead. She looks like a blonde. <laughs> I don't know what their aversion was to just making yeah. her goddamn ginger. But um, she's wearing sunglasses. So she does look like a blind person in a 90s movie. And in the reflection of her sunglasses, there's Rob and Gabriel looking all moody. And then right underneath her chin to the left is a black rose with people's faces sort of illustrated oh, into it. Is that what that is? Yeah. And I don't get that because black roses are not a thing in this book. <laughs> not in this book at all. And her whole head is sort of hovering over a reflective water surface. Also not There's relevant. No water in this. Well, yeah. no, there is a deprivation oh, thing, mm -hmm. I guess. But not like a lake. No, this looks, looks like. like a lake or a pond or something. And the rose is dripping blood 
into oh the water and it's got like a little red stain and a little red splash. So that's very confusing and I don't understand it. And then at the top, it says Dark Visions in purple and LJ Smith in, what's that, red? Red or pink? It's hard to tell. And then uh, it looks like a hot pink almost. Yeah, I think so. hot red. (laughs) This thing is just faded as hell. And then at the bottom, it says The Passion in that uh, jagged horror font that's at such a fucking at odds with the rest of the illustration. And then it says (laughs) Rob or Gabriel. Caitlin must choose at last. Because <laughs> that's the plot. Basically. So, yeah. Uh, it's the best of all three, I think. Uh, still confusing and inaccurate. It's like a romance cover, but wants to let you know that it's also got horror elements. Right? That's been the theme with these so far, right? Like, romance, but with horror, but they just do not gel. Yeah, and so much is like, what? why do you have that there? Right? At least like, she ever wears sunglasses. Right, that's true. It's just like, what? what's with the rose is such a big element. Like, where did it come from? I wish I could see this cover larger because mm-hmm. I've got it on Goodreads, but like, it's it has no larger version mm-hmm. because I want to see what these faces are. If I could figure out who they are or something, but I, I don't think it matters. <laughs> well, there's not a lot of, like, detail to them. I think okay. they are probably meant to be... You know what? They, there's two dude faces and what looks like a girl face. Do you think it's her people? I, it could be. They don't look angry, so I would guess that they <laughs> are meant to be Anna and Lewis and stuff. But who's who's the then the third dude? Who knows? Oh, fair. All right. That's the cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you want me to do the summary so that we have less background talking? Yeah, so that you can just mute me. Uh, okay. You'll have to help me remember because I genuinely did not have anything to hold on to with this book. <laughs> I'll try to. I'll try because I... I also had a hard time remembering <laughs> as we were going. Which is funny, because I've definitely read it more than you. Uh, I know! And yet... You said you you would reread these. I know, I know. And yet, like, at this moment, I want nothing more than to not have to remember anything about this book. So, it starts off, we do get an Immedia Res opening. And I hate it. (laughs) It's a time skip, a brief time skip, I think like three days, ultimately, uh, after they leave, after the crystal uh, gets exploded, vibrated to death. um, They are staying with Marisol's family and Gabriel busts in on them. And he's like, give me the crystal. And they're like, no. And he's (laughs) like, yes. And they're like, no. And he says, okay, goodbye. (laughs) Because Tony shows up. <laughs> right. Because Gabriel is not the bad dude, even though he kind yeah. of is. And he doesn't want to uh, make Tony, the kid who was like the tough little kid, think less of him. And he also realizes that they haven't used it to heal Marisol yet. So That's true. That's true. So he says, all right, it's fine because you're never going to get to the crystal anyway because it explains exactly how it's locked down. (laughs) 
He's you like, know, that's a good point. He's like, yeah, he put it behind a passcode now, so you can't even get to it if you wanted to. <laughs> this information will not come back to bite me in the ass. Goodbye. <laughs> it makes me wonder. <laughs> You'll never find it because uh, it's moved behind a passcode. Just so you know. <laughs> right? I genuinely didn't remember. And I was like, oh, did they move it to Mr. Zetas' house? Yeah, that would make more sense. No, they didn't. They just... No, it was at his house, wasn't it, previously? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Because he only had the project files in the basement. Yeah, so moving it to the basement (laughs) is actually the opposite (laughs) of what is useful. I like the idea that Mr. Zetas sat down and he was like, all right, where's a good place to keep this crystal? He's like, well, the children infiltrated my house, so it's clearly not safe there. (laughs) It's like, uh, they didn't actually infiltrate your house, sir. You invited them in? brought them and then were not able to defeat them even though you had a gun and they had literally (laughs) nothing it's very strange he made it easier if anything he could have just he could have built a safe or something and put it there right move it to a secondary location like somewhere they've never been but you know lj is not doing the holly black revision method in this book so (laughs) in fact she's making it easier on them yeah no mr zetas uh is not getting a chance to revise the book to his liking so i do like it though because gabriel is like it's like that tuxedo mask meme where it's like i'm i'm going away now but you didn't do anything (laughs) no going away no you didn't so he leaves And because it was uh, such a close call, Caitlin decides that she needs to uh, run away by herself to try to save Gabriel because even though he did uh, hurt her, he like assaulted her. Yes. Trying to get this fucking shard. Yeah. Like he caused her pain. Um, She could feel that he didn't want to, which is mm, a choice. A choice, LJ. (laughs) He hurt me, but he didn't want to. He didn't mean it. (laughs) Literally, it's that. She's like, she could feel that even though he did it, he didn't want to. So he's still good. (laughs) But he still did it. (laughs) See, this is the opposite of like that whole like you are what you do. You know, good is a thing you do. Like for LJ and for this book, and I, I can't say for LJ because I don't know the woman, but like. In this book, good is a thing that you are because you can see it in somebody's soul, right? Like, you don't have to do good things or do good works. You can just look into somebody's soul and know that they're good. And it doesn't matter how many shitty choices they've made. They're redeemed, you know? (laughs) That's such a problem for this book, especially LJ. Anyway, Caitlin runs away in the middle of the night and she hops a bunch of buses and we hear about every single one to get back to the institute because they've made it back to san francisco and she is almost assaulted again oh my god (laughs) i just like the third or fourth time that she is almost assaulted it's like does lj just think that's what happens to pretty girls i mean they step outside and like some evil rapist shows up it's so interesting right because like lj is very careful because Caitlin is very nervous going through San Francisco proper, but mm-hmm. LJ makes a point of not having her get attacked until she's in the nice suburbs. And she she does right, it on literally purpose. Literally in the neighborhood. Yeah. Caitlin talks about how, like, 
she's so uncomfortable in the city but she hangs out with like and lj is very specific she hangs out with like a black cashier at a convenience store and she feels safe and she gets on yeah. a bus with the bus driver and she feels safe with him in the city and then she moves into the he suburbs. like gives her a sandwich yeah he gives her a sandwich kate is freaked out by uh, an unhoused person but she gives them a sandwich and it turns out that there was nothing threatening about them. So like She had the sandwich from part of the quest from previously and she chose <laughs> not to eat it, which meant she could give it to the homeless, I'm sorry, the unhoused person and be friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, she she's able to open up that branch of the story. Uh, but no, she doesn't because <laughs> it's not a branch. It's just, it's interesting to me that LJ is trying to make the city less threatening. But then yeah. Caitlin is just sort of attacked by like a seedy guy it reminds me of the opener of i think it was book two in forbidden game mm-hmm. when we just have this random could have been serial killer kid oh yeah where that is like probably the most what the fuck thing <laughs> yeah. in forbidden game it's <laughs> just like why do we have this chapter from some random could have been a serial killer right where here it is, the opening of book three, and she encounters some dude where she's like, he's done this before. He's done horrible things. I'm like, you just encounter a random NPC, <laughs> probably serial rapist and killer. Yeah, yeah. LJ Why, LJ? She doesn't say it, but she implies it heavily. Yeah, enough where I'm like, yeah, okay, we get you. It's weird choices. Yeah, and it it happens so that Gabriel can come rescue Caitlin, right? Because that's romantic. Yeah. The same reason it happened in Vampire Diaries, like it's that same that Could same it trope. Just been like a wild animal or a fucking raccoon with rabies. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that would Why be has it so gotta much... be a serial rapist? That would be so much better if Gabriel runs in with his fucking spring loaded knife like a total dweeb. And <laughs> just punts a raccoon. <laughs> yeah, he just he knife fights a raccoon. And the raccoon turns around <laughs> and the raccoon has a knife. And they're just right, like... Right, because it got in the trash. <laughs> if I was playing in a and d game as a raccoon, <laughs> I would want to have the skill of found it in a trash can. Yeah, well, and you know what? Raccoons have thumbs. They can hold shit. Fuck yeah. Yep. And yeah, they're just looking at each other, eyeing each other across the cul-de-sac. <laughs> Caitlin laying in between them, looking frightenedly from one to the other. From raccoon to boy. Boy to raccoon. And then the fucking raccoon just comes for Gabriel and Gabriel's like, I am a human being and also a psychic. And, you know, that's the end of that. Like, sorry, raccoon, you did your best. And raccoon down. (laughs) Sorry, Anna. Right? (laughs) No, this is a problem Anna could have solved. I know. (laughs) But no, instead it's a fucking serial assaulter. It's It's a ginger rapist for some reason. I know, right? It was important that he was a redhead, I'm sure. Yeah, it was. This is very strange. Gabriel, she's close enough that she's able to scream for Gabriel, and he comes to rescue her, and she's able to sort of manipulate him into not asking a whole lot of questions and sort of <laughs> the fucking hand waving that they have to do with like the level of intimacy in their psychic web at any given time. Right? I feel like that sometimes everything is open Mm -hmm. and sometimes they can put up mental walls well and it's like 
which one is the default? Because like sometimes they have to actively work to screen their memories. And then other times Caitlin can just have the super long mental monologue and be thinking really like emotionally charged like things that would get her in trouble. And Gabriel just doesn't notice. Never picks up. And if we didn't see from his perspective a couple times, I would have assumed that he's known from the beginning and was like ready to help her. But we do see from his perspective. Yeah, we actually get uh, way more perspectives than we have for any of the rest of the books. Very strange choice. I guess because the party is split, so we have to. Right, right. But it's weird because I don't feel like the Rob chapters added anything. No, it was mostly just like a, what are they doing, you know? Yeah, it was a checking in on them. Right. It's like, oh, we have to explain why how they find her so that they're able to come in at the last minute you know (laughs) it's ridiculous yeah it's real real wild especially to start this in book three uh so yeah caitlin goes back to the institute with gabriel uh he vouches for her joyce is there joyce wants her there because everybody else is um well we'll talk about it so (laughs) she uh goes back to find that the psychics from the pilot study have been um reactivated and (laughs) thought out like fucking winter soldiers where were they uh just occurred to me to wonder they said somebody said that they were in some sort of like institute right or no because they never thought they were dead yeah they were implied to be dead last book when she learned about them or the previous book yeah it was implied they were all dead yeah i guess I have mentally filled in over the years that they were probably at some sort of like mental health facility. Yeah. But it doesn't, they don't ever say. No. I, you know, we, all we can assume is that they were safely packed away into the refrigerator. I uh, I think that is. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. 100% Winter Soldiers. Yeah. 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 Mr. Zetus just, you know, popped them in the microwave. (laughs) All that. So, yeah, the the house has been taken over and trashed by these Sorry, kids. I'm just imagining Mr. Seuss throwing them in the microwave like, who wants pizza rolls? <laughs> He's like, now you have to stop halfway through and flip them. Otherwise, well, yeah, they won't or... through all the way. Right, it'll be very weird. Yeah, you're going to bite into it and one half will fucking scald your mouth and the other half will be an ice cube. <laughs> You don't want that in your Honestly, psychics. I bet that's what happened. <laughs> he didn't cook them properly. He didn't flip. Yeah, he just put them in for five minutes and didn't flip halfway through. This is because Mr. Zetas has never had to make his own pizza rolls in his life. <laughs> he doesn't know how to cook them And properly. Joyce doesn't understand junk food. <laughs> Neither of them has ever touched a microwave before. He doesn't, he doesn't read the package. No, no, he did not read the instructions. And then they came out, you know, half scalding, half frozen, and unpleasant for everybody. (laughs) This is actually true. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they're all varying levels of dethawed, and it's very obnoxious. Oh, yeah. And they're all extremely aggressive, and it's implied that that is because of their contact with the crystal. The gross crystal. Um, For some of them. And then some of them are just assholes. Yeah. 
So Caitlin is able to take her place there. She does a little recon. She finds a Faraday cage and a sensory deprivation tank, uh, Chekhov's sensory deprivation tank. Oh, and also his daughter is there, Lydia. Oh, yes. Lydia is there. The only one who's not half the thawed. She's just kind of depressed. Yeah. No, she's kind of bummed. She's like, ugh, my dad sucks and I can't really get away from him. Like, I really like having my credit cards, so... (laughs) I enjoy being a rich girl. (laughs) Right? I really enjoy my privilege, so if I have to deal with some larceny and murder to continue to enjoy that, I'm going to be bummed about it, but... It's not like she has to go do any of it. Right. She just goes to school and lives with criminals. Yeah. Can can you blame her personally? Of course not. Uh, They have a few instances of Caitlyn testing and she mostly she's there to try to figure out where the crystal is so that she can destroy it with the crystal shard that she brought with her. She didn't bring it with her. She didn't? No, no, she's still with. Yeah. Mm. But that she will get. Yeah. God, I'm down to the liquor portion of my drink and it's not good. No, no. (laughs) Okay. Should have mixed that shit. Yes, sorry. She does not have the crystal, but she's going to get the crystal at some point. So she uses her powers to figure out how to get to the crystal. She goes on a a couple of larcenies with the bad psychics. Gabriel ultimately, almost immediately, finds out that she is there to destroy the crystal, and he's real bummed because she hurt his fifis. And Caitlin (laughs) finally fucking decides that gabriel does in fact get her in the panties like it's taken oh so God, fucking long right? it takes jealousy oh yeah yeah kind of huh yeah it takes her seeing that he like spent the night with one of the dark psychic girls named frost mm-hmm. for her to be like he was mine to string along well they have their first kiss over the ginger And she feels it then, too, for, like, the first time. She's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I could could do this. Um, (laughs) But it really takes the jealousy for her to be like, I don't love him. I can't love two people. The fucking classic LJ scenario, right? But I can't love two people at once. It's a different kind of love. I couldn't possibly love both of them the same way romantic love for two individuals at the same time sit impossible (laughs) yeah um but yeah no finally caitlin is romantically interested in gabriel it's taken three books it is way (laughs) too late oh my god i know but we finally get that fucking struggle that we really needed at least a book ago where she's like i want gabriel i want rob what do I do? Uh, you know, I have to, she goes out ready to seduce Gabriel. Like that is literally her plan. She knows that he loves her. Yeah. She packs like a fucking party dress. (laughs) She's like, I am going there to jump this boy's bones and destroy me a crystal. And I'm all out of bones. And (laughs) she gets there and she's like, Oh wait, I also enjoy the bones weird right like i wish that it had been book one but like you said even last book would have been great you you know they were getting closer yeah 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 yeah. they were doing the weird vaguely metaphorical sex stuff like 
it really would have been nice. This is what we're here for, LJ. Why did you take until book three? So she angst about the angst about that for a little bit. They send her back to school where she meets up with the others and they try to pull her out. The good psychics. But she says no and she puts her foot down. God, is there anything else important that we need to mention before we just jump to the end? Uh, I feel like the only thing that happens is like her finding the keypad, finally using her motherfucking powers to try to figure it out. Mm hmm. Oh, and yeah, because they're in the room with the crystal at that time, and they kill LaShawn. Oh, yeah, that's right. Off-page death for LaShawn. But it apparently matters so much to Caitlin. It's very strange. Again, and then, like, a member of the Fellowship randomly turns up with Rob and Anna and Lewis, and it's like- And not one that we had previously actively, like, interacted with. Like, I feel like that should have been LaShawn. Or- Mm -hmm. Her name's Tamson. If you wanted her to be the one that interacted in this book, make her the one that interacted in book one and book two. Right. Yeah. I think they like name dropped her in book two and that's about it. Yeah. And yeah, she just shows up and does absolutely nothing. Yeah. She's useless. She's nothing because pacifism. I feel like, why are you here? Good fucking question. She literally contributes nothing. Yeah. She's not part of the team. No, she's just sort of there, I guess, to ferry the information about LaShawn, which ultimately also doesn't matter all that much. Doesn't matter. Doesn't encourage Rob and Anna and Lewis to, like, go do the thing. Like, no, they already had plans for that. Like, like Caitlin even points out, oh, she's from a race of psychics. Oh, wait, pacifism. Right. No, she won't do anything because of this very vague philosophy that I know nothing about. <laughs> that gets a name for some reason. I again, it feels very specific, like in that a, a trope of that time in California or something. Um, oh, I I believe it. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's just a very haphazard way to sort of wrap up the lack of interference by the insti- the the fellowship or whatever they call themselves. Yeah, fellowship. Like, here's why they're not here, because they killed LaShawn and the rest of them are literally helpless. (laughs) None of them will stand up for themselves. Right. So, yeah, Caitlin, she finds out the combination to the the second lock that Mr. Zedus has entrusted his crystal to. She convinces Rob and Anna and Louis, mostly Rob, Anna and Louis just kind of stand there. Correct. (laughs) To bring her the crystal so that she can destroy it. And she goes to break in and she finds two of Mr. Zeta's previous students. You mean PC and Slug? (laughs) It's so much worse, though. Oh, yeah, because from the get-go, she doesn't want to give them humanity. It's such a strange... The way that LJ describes them, I feel like you're supposed to see them as, like, these horrible monsters. But then she, when she, you read what she literally describes, they're kind of just physically disfigured and in straitjackets. Yeah. I was getting a lot of PC and Slug from, like, Funland vibes, though. Sure, but they're literal monsters. Like, these are just dudes in straitjackets. But because... They've had their minds sort of burned out by contact with the crystal. All they can do is, like, 
lay there and drool and shit themselves. And it's not great. It's uncomfortable in a number of ways. But their psychic powers are still intact. So they're basically like there to guard the crystal. Uh, and that's it. And Caitlin calls him like human pupa, which is weird and uncomfortable. So yeah, they, they are able to stop Caitlin from getting to the crystal. And she's found out by everybody. Uh, Mr. Zetas is like, well, into the trash can with you. He puts her in the world's ugliest bathing suit. And he <laughs> throws her into the sensory deprivation tank where within three hours, Caitlin has fully almost lost her marbles. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. It was a lot. Like, LJ, it needs to be longer than like two and a half hours. It needs to be longer than the span of a dinner. Right. They made it like, as soon as you get in there, you're basically gone. It was honestly comical especially because like nowadays people pay a lot of money to go into sensory deprivation tanks as like a therapeutic thing right i i messaged you being like reading her experience i am not on caitlin's side on this this sounds great <laughs> right like you know what fucking book me i'll do it but yeah no caitlin gets in there and she like loses all sense of touch and self and you're just looking at the clock and it's been like two and a half <laughs> minutes and it's like caitlin <laughs> please keep it together well and like she's an artist like visualize stuff in your mind my god right it's such a strange choice basically lj has just created like this crazy making machine and it's pretty funny honestly it's pretty laughable within like a paragraph Caitlin is acting like she's been in solitary for 10 years like yeah. uh so Gabriel does not actively disrupt the act of putting Caitlin into the water trash can but he <laughs> she calls it a dumpster yeah it's shaped like a dumpster which is not what I pictured I sort of pictured the thing from stranger things which was more elaborate and interesting looking same but not not as uh described so Gabriel is removed from the house. They all go out to dinner to celebrate dunking Caitlin in the toilet. and <laughs> Throwing the ball and dunking her. Yeah. And uh, they're sort of monitoring Gabriel to make sure that he doesn't interfere. Uh, but they finally get back within range of her psychically. And he reaches out and finds that Caitlin has no mental fortitude whatsoever. He'd like brought a crystal chunk with him. Yeah, because he was trying to enhance his, his ability to connect with her. And it wasn't quite enough. Uh, so he reaches out and he establishes a mental connection. And he keeps Kate sane, finger quotes, through the night by sort of opening his mind up to her and feeding her like the various sensations of like his memories. And it's extremely strange uh, because they basically do a mind meld. And that is the the height of intimacy and romance, according to this book. And uh, Caitlin finds all of these things about Gabriel that would have really been nice to know several books ago. Yet again. Book one, it would have been nice. Right? She's like, oh, I never knew that Gabriel was a fucking musician and loves music. And it's like, me either. So yeah. We find out a bunch of stuff about Gabriel's childhood, abusive father, as it turns out, 
he's super into music. He had a band before, you know, all of the stuff that we did learn about him in book one. So like all of this stuff to humanize Gabriel that would have been nice to know at literally any other point in this series. Instead of waiting until like what fucking page was it? It's so far. It's like two chapters before the end. It is on a pa- out of 730 pages. It's chapter 14, which happens on page 689 is when he finally like interacting with her yeah so yeah like 690 out of 730 we start to actually learn who gabriel is it's too late it's too late lg this whole thing is too late 40 pages to the end you want to give me three books worth of character development i know and it's only in that little section too it's not like 40 pages of character development Right, because, you know, they're doing the thing. And I'll, I'll just tell you this now. This is what being soulmates is, is in Nightworld. It's doing this. No! Yeah, this is their thing, right? They sort of did it in Secret Circle. They mind meld. Why is this the sexiest thing to her? I, I we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay, so. All right, when we get there, I have theories. Okay. So they mind meld. Caitlin tells Gabriel that she loves him because they've been super intimate. And she literally says it's because they've been intimate and she knows Gabriel better than she knows any other person. Therefore, she loves him. Which is weird because if you could do this with anybody else, would you also love them? Good question. I guess it would depend. Presumably. I guess it would depend on whether or not they were hot. So Gabriel keeps in contact with Caitlin all night to try to keep, you know, keep her tethered to the world. Because she's an artist who can't fucking visualize shit. Yeah. Then they pop her out the next morning. She, they realize that- Easy big Caitlin. <laughs> yeah, right. Is she done? No, you didn't cook the center. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> we'll put her in you the microwave. You flip her. <laughs> no, he did. But this time he's like, we're going to remedy this. I'm going to flip her. We're going to yeah. shove her up against the crystal and do it properly. <laughs> oh the oven instead of the microwave yeah that's a good plan actually right you know what that actually works mr zetas congratulations you can cook your pizza rolls. <laughs> right so he he takes caitlin down to the crystal and uh rob and the rest of the other psychics sort of burst in they do absolutely nothing they're so useless they really don't they genuinely just stand there because the two psychics that Mr. Zetas has guarding. It's Sasha and Party King. I'm sorry. Partaking. Partay. Partaking. Thank you. These are the most L.J. Smith named character. Yeah, right. I love how Brie, the, one of the psychic girls, has to explain that that's not his real name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, thank you for telling me. I would not have guessed. I, <laughs> that's not on his birth certificate? What? You mean he's not a boat named by a bunch of millennials? (laughs) Right. He's not somebody's yacht, as it turns out. (laughs) He's not the entire, like, county naming uh, the new fire truck. (laughs) Right? He's not not the new covered bridge going through the forest. Okay. That we voted on? (laughs) Anyone could put in a name for? Thank you for clarifying, Brie. (laughs) <laughs> he was actually though that is how he got his name he put it up to a vote <laughs> it went viral his family voted on it and there was one <laughs> one dick hole right just he like, convinced all of the cousins <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> suddenly everybody was voting and thinking they were the only one 
<laughs> like, oh, fuck, we didn't mean to do this, but we did do it. So you have to honor it. You all voted. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So they're they're so strong psychically that they're li- they're able to freeze everybody and keep them from moving, which is confusing because there's this whole sequence down with the crystal where nobody can move. But also Mr. Zetas, once the kids get the upper hand, does nothing to stop them because he's the only one who can move like they're not yeah. stopping him. Why doesn't he do something? Yeah, why didn't? Where did your gun go, man? Like, did you not learn? That's a good point. Yeah, I was very confused for this whole sequence because there's you need a need to bring a gun to a psychic fight. We've learned this. You realized this the yeah. first book. You, he was a prepared villain. Yeah, it, he was very effective. Almost killed everybody. Um, yeah, a single old man <laughs> with a gun. It's wild. <laughs> And he caused trouble for, for, for book two, made Gabriel a psychic vampire. With right? That. I love how there are multiple times when people are caught by Mr. Zetas and they don't ever try to fight. And I'm like, this is an old man. It's one old man. He's not a psychic. <laughs> but, but I think he is because people talk about it like he is. They only say that he has an intimidating presence. Like, <sighs> there was stuff in book one, early in book two. And then stuff here where it felt like maybe he had something, but I don't know. It is very vague and I do wish he had just come out because they do say at the end that Lydia is of the old lineage. Mm -hmm. So like he is also, and I don't know like why he didn't just also be a psychic. I don't know. Maybe he could be trained. I'm just imagining fucking Daddy Hargreaves the whole time. (laughs) Right. But it just, it's so strange to me because he's, he's just an old man. Caitlin says that he's physically strong and that's what keeps her from trying to escape a couple times. But I'm, I'm just fucking sitting here movie. like, what is he fucking lifting? Like, he can't be that <laughs> strong, Caitlin. He lifts his cane. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, you're a healthy 17-year-old girl. I'm sure you can locate his penis and kick it. Just sweep the leg. <laughs> No, he's got bad hips. You know he does. Just Seriously. push him over. He'll be down for the count. They just see him and they're like, up, oh, game's over. Yep, you caught me, right? It's like they're playing fucking, like, don't wake daddy. Oh, no, daddy woke up. Game over. Dup, done. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very silly, especially when you get to the point where there's, like, a room full of teenage psychics and they're all like, I don't know about this. And, like, still nobody will lift a hand to Zetas. Yeah. So yeah, there's a room full of psychic teenagers. More than half of them are not on board with this. They decide... Literally only two of them are. Yeah, literally only two people want to continue with this plan. But they still don't stop it. They just sort of nonviolently protest against it, (laughs) which is wild. Because this man is trying to effectively, like, murder these people. Yeah. But yeah, there's a big segment where they're all like slowed down and they like have to push against the psychic force of Sasha and Partey King. And if we all work together, they can't stop all of us. Right? Can't they? Sure. I guess, you know, whatever you say, LJ. I don't know, the rules we just got here. It's like it's that that old trope of like you have to overload him. That's how you defeat yeah. literally every villain. You just overload them. <laughs> uh, and they do. And they're able to destroy the crystal. 
Gabriel. Gabriel destroys the crystal specifically. Yeah. The fucking cowardly move. Mr. Zetas is like blown into oblivion. There are no meaty chunks. He just disappears. Right? We don't even get a pink mist on him. I know. This. Ugh. He's just gone. When Arl Stein does it better. He would have. That man's head would have exploded and a crystal would have popped out or something. Every part of him would have popped. Yes. Ugh. Instead, we got Caitlin talking about the colors that she saw. I'm like, I yeah. want to see the fucking body chunks of this old villain. <laughs> I know. I know. Clearly Bob didn't do a pass on this one or he would have have helped out. Yeah. And like LJ Smith is good at horror. She is. The scenes where it was anything horror related. I was like, yeah, that's LJ Smith. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this scene didn't even bother. It's a coward's way out, LJ. Yeah. Should have had body parts. Yep. But no, he's just gone. Leaves his cane behind. Okay. So, yeah, the day is saved. The bad psychics run away. Nobody stops them. Um, Caitlin even, like, throws up her hands and she's like, let's just hug it out. Yeah. <laughs> right? She's like, you guys can like, stay. No. Like, we we <laughs> recognize that you were manipulated by uh, an adult with bad intent. And they're just sort of right. like, nah, yeah, we're good. Who knows where they go? Going to come back for that sequel. Jay's definitely going to write. And uh, the rest of them do hug it out. Which is fucking twee as shit. <laughs> it is. It's very like wrap everything up with a little bow. Like the psychics and Joyce are all going to go to the new island where the fellowship lives. And Rob is. Oh, I wanted to say, I think that's uh-huh. why Tamsin is there. Mm-hmm. Just for this. See, here's the, my thing, though. It would have made just as much sense for them to be like. We know where a safe place is. I agree. I agree. But I don't think that our our dear friend LJ Smith <clears throat> could agree. Right. Like, genuinely, we know the fellowship was reestablishing itself somewhere else. They could have just said, hey, we know where there's a place for you guys to learn to use your powers, recover from the effects of the crystal, come yeah. with us. It would have been just as, made just as much sense to me. Maybe not to LJ or her editors. I don't know. But. Yeah, I feel like for her, she needs to like know that it's okay mm-hmm. instead of just assuming. Or it's like, oh, okay, why? But whatever, fine. <laughs> that being said, there are a lot of things that she just sort of allows you to assume from this fucking plot. Oh, God, yeah. So Rob decides he's going to go with them to sort of help move the fellowship in the right direction, probably for the best canonically. The fact that a teenager is going to go lead a group of, like, thousands of years old psychics is something out of a fucking (laughs) SNL sketch, but I... (laughs) Then they do the um, hetero wrap-up. And the everybody pairs up wrap-up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lewis pairs up with uh, Lydia because they were two unattached teenagers of opposing gender. (laughs) Rob realizes that Gabriel is in love with Caitlin because he realizes that Gabriel grievously injured himself to stay in contact with Caitlin in the uh, deprivation tank. And he makes Gabriel confess. Rude, personally. Oh, I know, right? It's like, way to violate my uh, privacy here, dude. Right? And he's like, (laughs) I just sort of picture him like shaking him like, say you love her. Say you fucking love her. Just say it. And Gabriel does. (laughs) And uh, Rob sort of realizes along with Caitlin 
that Caitlin also loves Gabriel and she used to love Rob, but it was in a different way. He was her first love and at some point over the past few books that changed. Dunno when. But now uh, Caitlin feels passionately for Gabriel title drop and decides that she wants to be with him. And so um, that leaves one lady left over unattached. So uh, Rob and Anna are uh, a destined thing now. Uh, And everybody lives happily ever after. And that is Dark Visions, The Passion. I do want to point out that Mm -hmm. at the very, very end, it gets Uh, so twee. Yeah, I forgot. Because even Marisol and Tony show up. Mm -hmm. And it's like literally hugs all around. (laughs) And then Lewis is like, wait. Let me get my camera, and I'm going to just, I'm going to read the very, (laughs) very end. Okay. And he says, hey, yeah, everybody's here. Wait a minute. Lewis was running. He was back in a moment. Everybody scrunched together by the door. Some of you get down. The rest lean in. Get closer. There's no selfies in this world yet. I think we're already about as close as we can get, Gabriel said slash thought. And Caitlin was surrounded by silent laughter. That's it. Hold that smile, Lewis shouted and snapped <laughs> their picture. That's the end. It That's literally end. ends on a freeze frame of everybody Literally. Laughing. I'm like, laughter and hugs and wait, let me get my camera to commemorate this moment. Ugh. Yeah, it's a lot. That's the plot. That's the plot. So. So. I continue to believe that Lisa Jane sent in a first draft on each of these (laughs) Uh uh-huh oh my god there's so much in this book that is potentially interesting right Mm -hmm. if it had shown up in the first book Mm -hmm. like i think it was page 550 is coming to mind okay yeah okay so like around page 550 out of again 730 pages of this series we're introduced to four new characters Mm -hmm. the dark psychics who, like, I messaged you being like, oh my gosh, I can't even keep them straight. Like, there's two boys and two girls, but I fucked if I know who they are. <laughs> they just kept blurring together. Like, mm-hmm. even to the end, I don't, I was like, I don't really remember who is who. Mm-hmm. We could have just had either all of these characters or half of those characters already in the institute in book one where our like good kids and on the fence kid gabriel and caitlin make her an on the fence kid found this stuff and ran away like like introduce us to these kids so that Mm -hmm. when we see their reaction or not reaction how they are now after contact with the crystal Mm -hmm. that they're not just these scene chewing (laughs) captain planet villains Mm mm-hmm because I didn't care about them. They were not kids. Like, this was just, like, it was really hard. I, I couldn't look at most of these characters, even our main characters, as characters so much as just L.J. Smith writing a first draft. But if you'd shown us who they were ahead of time, that would have been great. So that we could be like, oh, well, things have gotten, oh, bad since y'all left a week ago. Mm-hmm. And, like that right there would have been really fucking great to have in the first book Mm -hmm. as you mentioned the stuff about gabriel having any character development that would have been great the stuff with rob and anna potentially which suddenly got shoehorned in at the beginning of this book Mm -hmm. 
that would have been great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like Anna calls Caitlin her best friend, but I never got the feeling that Anna didn't have friends. Right. Like you've known this girl for two weeks now. You must have zero friends. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I think the big note for this book is should have been in the first one. Should have started yeah. here. Even the format of like flipping between Caitlin, Gabriel, uh, Rob, like it, it does that way more than it has in any of the other books just because it has to because the party's more split. But like, yeah, if we had gotten this from book one, maybe we could have understood more about the characters and like sure and all of these different like things that come out of nowhere would have felt like they made more sense like if we had some scenes of anna like feeling hanging out with rob yeah and and feeling feelings about that and like caitlin and like you know something with lewis still don't know anything about lewis except that he is apparently straight like that's about it where'd all his tech go i kept feeling that like he had a big ass speaker and a computer and all that shit was gone. And I was like, damn, dude, you do not care. Because LJ doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I recall correctly, book one, we got like two chunks of a chapter, not even full chapters from Gabriel's perspective, but otherwise Caitlin. And then book two, we had some more Gabriel, but mostly Caitlin. Mm-hmm. And then this one was mostly Caitlin, but some Gabriel and some Rob. Maybe mm-hmm. two Rob? Just would have been better to have your your girl and her love triangle having anything. Right. I'm also mad at the way it opens. Mm-hmm. Because we spent so much fucking time in book two. Mm-hmm. Agonizing over every step of the way of this fucking road trip book. <laughs> and this one just opens with them... Already having dealt with Marisol's parents, already staying there. They've made their long trip back from Canada. Gabriel's already met up with Dr. Zeta's. Like, that feels like scenes that I would have asked the author to add. Mm-hmm. Being like, no, that's emotional. That's payoff from last book mm-hmm. of him returning to the Institute. You know, what does he say to Mr. Z? How does he get back in? What is he feeling? And then, like, to come to Marisol's parents, who we've never met. Never do. Right? Like, why isn't Tony just her older brother? Or her boyfriend? Just just give her a boyfriend that she lives with. It's, it's very bizarre. But to have it just start, like, probably two or three days later, when we started the last one, within minutes of the previous book, mm-hmm. skipping all of these important scenes, I was very irritated and mad, and just ultimately, like, Ugh, hands up, want to throw the book <laughs> from the get-go. Yeah, there was stuff, like like you said, with um Gabriel, like his, you know, meeting up with Mr. Zetas, like talking to him about why he was coming back. There was, they, they sort of dropped the angle of his um his poverty in the first book where he was very interested in the trappings of Mr. Zetas's wealth. Yeah. That was interesting to me because, you know, material uh, wealth as a motivator for this, you know, impoverished kid, right, was interesting. And then they sort of dropped that through the road trip. 
So I went back to the other book just to see if he ever thinks about like material things when he's leaving the fellowship. Because like, I feel like for a kid who was super into the limos and shit, that would be a a big deal. But the only thing that he says is um, something about like living in the fellowship's outer buildings and watching Caitlin and Rob romance each other. Like, is one thing that could be considered as like caring about his material surroundings, but mostly it's watching Caitlin and Rob. Yeah, and I feel like nobody would want to be relegated to the outskirts. Right, sure. But like, you know, for Gabriel, who is has this interesting dynamic of like, I would like to have nice things because I've never had nice things before. You could yeah. lean into that a little bit, right? And then it sure. makes him a little Could have had him be like, I can't believe even here I have to be a poor. Right. Seriously. And then, like, that whole speech that he gives is about how he's going to embrace being evil. But, like, if you see yeah. that in with, like, the stuff about not wanting to watch Caitlin and Rob together, then that makes him a little more sympathetic and a little less randomly choosing to do something different. Yeah, being like, well, I'm going to be the villain, fine. Right? And, like, in this book, it comes back where he is, like, enamored of, like, the wealth that he sees, even when the other psychics are not. And it's just another, like, interesting piece that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like this Gabriel and book two Gabriel don't match up, but book Gabriel, book Gabriel, book one and book three Gabriel do more. Yeah, like, it's there, you know, like it makes sense for the character that LJ's created, but she doesn't do anything with it. Even here, the material component, he like admires it, but it doesn't factor into like his decision about whether or not to help Caitlin or not help Caitlin. Like it's just a thing that gets brought up and then nothing happens with it. Yeah, like if he had thought, oh, goodbye, penthouse. Goodbye, vacations in Maui. Like, just, like, something to remind us who he is. Right? Because they, they try to build this tension of, like, is he going to betray her or not? Even the the back of the book tries to set that up, right? But yeah. that's never really a thing. Like, he doesn't narc on her, ever, you know? And, no. and when push comes to shove, you know, when Caitlyn is, is being hurt, he chooses to help her without any sort of internal struggle like he just does it you know even when they're away celebrating dunking her he's like waiting for as soon as he possibly can Mm -hmm. to help her yeah and it's never it's never a question the only time it gets brought up is at the very end when zetus is trying to get him to not blow up the crystal he says something like, think of all the, the things that you could have. And Gabriel says, fuck it. And then he explodes yeah. the crystal. That's it. Like, man. That would have been so much more powerful if he had been struggling with it. Yeah. You know, and like, I, it made me think about the way that he talks about the um, street characters in the second book. And the Ugh. a couple of them in this book. Where it's like, you know what? Sure. That makes sense for Gabriel as a person from poverty who would despise, you know, poverty and the people who... Fellow people in poverty. Yeah, yeah. That totally makes sense. All of these things that could have made Gabriel a more complex character, a more nuanced villain, and that she just doesn't do anything with it. I wonder if she ever had, like, 
a friend who was her constant beta reader because it doesn't feel like it. I mean, this thing's got published. Presumably she had editors. And this was during a time when editors did give a fuck, you know, like in the sense of content. Sure. Yeah. Not that editors don't give a fuck now. I just feel like they don't have the ability to. So someone should have said, hey, um, I'm not really getting his motivation in this one. Could You mentioned in book one this stuff. Could you bring it in now in book two? Mm-hmm. Just, just someone to remind her of the book that she wrote? <laughs> I mean, granted, book one didn't have a whole lot going for it. I think, you know, this was in a time when the, the Christopher Pike, Arl Steiners, right? When things were being published every month, you know, these books were being yeah. put on that fucking conveyor belt. And shout out to <laughs> the bookstores. This one was published April 1st, 1995. And it looks like The Strange Power was published December 94. So it goes December. And then Possessed was February. So December, January, February, March, April. So every other month, one of these came out. Mm-hmm. And let me... Real quick look up Forbidden Game. The Hunter, the first one, mm-hmm. came out in March 94. So I'm going to guess May 94 for the next one. Let's see. All right. So The Chase came out in May. Let's see if this next one's July. Boom, July. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is really impressive that she did this one and then that one so quickly. Yeah. So f- spring through early summer, Forbidden Game. Mm-hmm. December starts Dark Visions. That's not a lot of time in between. And like, I know they don't come out immediately. It's not like a Kindle or something. Right. But that does suggest that she probably only had a little bit of time between to work on this one. Forbidden Game probably benefited highly from her having that extra two years, basically. That's fair. As opposed, well, I would say a year and a half because it looks like six months between Forbidden Game and Dark Visions. Because mm-hmm. Vampire... <laughs> that's the same fucking thing. Vampire Diaries started coming out in fall of 91. Mm-hmm. And then uh, right after came Secret Circle, which was also a fucking flop. Mm-hmm. Less of a flop than this one, in my opinion. <laughs> but it really feels like she needs to not be... Oh, hey, you did a book. Great. Pump out another one in six months. Right. She needs at least two years to write something coherent. Yeah. And I mean, these were not uh, book packaging, right? So she wasn't working with somebody else's outline or premise. Like, this was all LJ. Yeah. Nobody was tightening it for her. Which is funny because she thanks her editor in the acknowledgments everybody thanks their editor she says for pat mcdonald editor extraordinaire whose keen insight helped shape my visions and whose boundless patience allowed me to perfect them pat mcdonald you're fired (laughs) i'm sure you're fine pat mcdonald you dropped the ball buddy right you shaped my visions did you and it looks like i'm not looking at the description but Night World number one, Secret Vampire, doesn't come out until June 96. Yeah, that sounds right. So that's another two-year break. I'm holding out for Night World still being good, man. I'm... I hope so, too. I think 
I mean, I feel I feel better about it knowing that it's not coming out in like September '94, <laughs> that it's instead June '96 to like give her some time. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's why she never got around to finishing that series. Like we'll we'll see it when we get there as far as uh what her timeline was. But if she was pumping this shit out one book every two months, mm-hmm. yeah, she had no fucking clue what she's doing by the time she gets to book four or five. I say I don't think it was quite that close together but i i can't say for sure anyway going back to what we were talking about there's a lot of stuff here (laughs) that makes sense for the characters but just could have been developed more or at all yeah i want to talk about Mm -hmm. how these books are very clearly her you pointed out his mention uh gabriel's mention of i'm like wolverine Mm -hmm. and that i'd laughed because when we were first discussing it in the intro to Dark Visions. Mm-hmm. I was like, haha, it's Gen 13. That these books are just her answer to superheroes and X-Men type stuff. Mm-hmm. Up to and including Mr. Zetus is such a fucking cartoon villain. Mm-hmm. He monologues. Mm-hmm. Oh, he reveals his every intention. Like, you pointed out, where's your fucking gun this time, dude? Yeah. Like, you weren't super good at it, but at least you were kind of, kind of Daddy Hargreaves-ish from Umbrella Academy for me in the first one. Mm -hmm. Like, now you're just lazy writing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He gets to be a little more present in this book, and it does not improve his actual presence, you know? Yeah, I... (sighs) I don't actually understand his motivation because his motivation is just power and money and control. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Gabriel could have been a really good mirror to that. Yeah. To have him be a young Mr. Z and to see through Gabriel's eyes what it feels like to want this stuff to go, oh, okay, well, this man came from nothing and blah, blah, blah. But we don't. We don't get that. He's just a fucking cartoon villain. Yeah. I'm actually going to look up his last name because we find out that his first name is Emmanuel at one point. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is he a person of color? I don't think so. They describe him and Lydia as like the whitest people. Right, but it's very peculiar to me. It's Greek. That makes sense. Yeah. Be- yeah. Ugh. Just at the end, he's just some of his fucking monologues. Yeah, it's his monologues while nobody does anything. Yeah. It's fucking wild. Like, I know y'all are held in place by the psychic whatever, but you eventually overcome that by just moving all at the same time. And even he doesn't do anything. I know. I know. He just sits there and, like, begs Gabriel not to fucking touch the thing. It's like, (sighs) you could move. You have a cane. You could do a thwap. It's an extremely weak climax. What if his power is that as long as he keeps talking, no one can do anything? <laughs> the downside, the trade-off that you have to like get from the GM is that you also can't do anything. You can only talk. That sounds balanced. <laughs> I think this is his power. That would be so funny. <laughs> Literally the power of monologue. I would believe it. I would believe it. That would be the most author convenient fucking superpower. <laughs> I wanna. I don't want to play a game, but I want to play a game. <laughs> uh-huh. 
<laughs> where it's like, all right, you're all powerful. Not all powerful. Each of you is powerful. Mm-hmm. And you get a power. There has to be a drawback while you're using it. And I'm like, I've got mine. <laughs> <laughs> right? I have come prepared. <laughs> Hoping that my friends are out there doing the thing while I keep these guards distracted. With I want a fucking Colin Robinson. That's what I want. Yes, that would be amazing. I like All of your friends just have earplugs in so they can't hear you and they're just like walking yes. out of the room. I want my superpower personally to be a gun because that always wins. Because <laughs> then you can shut me the fuck up. So is your power that you always have a gun when you want it? No, I just have a gun. <laughs> Is that a superpower? I mean, basically. You, Matt, like, you don't have to carry it, so they'll never find it on you. You can just pull it out of cartoon space. <laughs> no, I want to physically have to have a gun with me. I'll still beat everybody. All right, well, I guess your drawback is you don't have a license for it. <laughs> okay, I'm also rich. Oh, well. <laughs> I found my note about how do I still have 150 pages left in this book? What can possibly happen? <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, so, Sina, I have a question for you. Yes. So this shard. Uh-huh. How how big would you say that this shard is from the original crystal? Oh, well, you know dragons, right? Sure. Yeah. So, like, if you took a dragon and, like, looked at, like, the size of its claw, but it's actually a big dragon... So it's not a normal sized dragon. It's a big dragon that has been hunting for most of the season because it's summer. It's been hunting (laughs) for a couple of months. And so, and it's like in its growth spurt, you know, so it's becoming like an adult dragon. And Oh, okay. So it's not an adult dragon yet? No, it's like growing, it's growing into its paws. It's gigantic (laughs) dragon paws. I love when dogs are in that point. Oh, I know. That's my favorite part of puppyhood. It's like that. But for dragons, which is the yeah. thing I'm aware of what look like in size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the dragon that is growing into its gigantic paws. And, you know, it's been <laughs> eating adorable. well. It's gotten a bunch of goats. It's like almost a full size, but not quite. So it's about the size of that dragon. His name is Bob. That dragon's <laughs> middle claw which has not been worn down by like a lot of walking on the stone because it's been flying it's like that size <laughs> okay i have a very clear picture in my head now of how long this this shard must be thank yeah. you yeah yeah you're welcome you know a dragon <laughs> also it could also be the size of a small unicorn's horn yeah the size and shape <laughs> of a small unicorn's Something we're all so familiar with. Not a normal unicorn. No, no. Which we all are familiar with what they look like, I'm sure. Of course. Met in person. Yeah. Perfect sense. Coming across this fucking description. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that we both were like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) You could say, I imagined it's what a unicorn's horn might look like. But you can't tell me it is the size and shape of a small unicorn's horn. <laughs> My note literally says, LJ, unicorns don't exist. It doesn't help me. <laughs> doesn't help anyway. And then the fact that later, when we're in Rob's perspective, it's as long as his forearm. Which is what I told you. Why didn't we just say it's as long as Kate's forearm? 
Ollie, that is also so much bigger than I pictured the shard. I know. Like, even looking at my own forearm. That's so big. And I'm not, you know, six foot something gangly Rob. I would never have imagined a unicorn's horn to be a small unicorn's horn to be the (laughs) size of my fucking forearm. LJ. We were all wrong, including her. Oh, LJ. I love LJ because this came naturally to her. And she was like, yeah, unicorn. Everybody. Yes, the size and shape of a small unicorn's horn. Don't you know? Everybody knows that. Who's not going to get this? Uh, If you Google LJ Smith, one of the first pictures that will come up is a Photoshop of her sitting with a unicorn in her lap. And it just. Yeah. It feels. It's so LJ. It's just mm, good stuff. (laughs) I love that. This is just natural to her. She lives in a world where unicorns are real. Genuinely. Like, she can physically touch them. A small one. Yeah. And you know what? The unicorn in her lap? Relatively small. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Well, because, like, also, some unicorns, you see them, and the horn feels, I don't know, proportional to the horse's body. Mm -hmm. And then some, you see a drawing, and it's, like, super long and spindly. They're so long, yes. Like a fucking narwhal. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah, are, yeah. in fact, real creatures. <laughs> it's, you should have said it was the size and length of a narwhal's horn. And even that... <laughs> a creature we've all seen. Even that would have been better. Especially in 1994. Because we could look it up. No, 1994, Ollie. Nobody could fucking look it up. That's fair. Again, just say, it was about a foot and a half long. I could wrap my fist around it. Or something. Anything. Yeah. But the problem is... That they have this thing and it's sharp. Like, why isn't it wrapped in leather? I feel like the Fellowship, like, one, I know I've complained last time and I'll complain again. One, they should have given each of these fucking kids a shard Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. instead of entrusting it with Caitlyn. Your whole crystal blew up. You don't need this shit. Give one to everybody. Pack up the rest where you're going to protect you. Make sure each of these kids has a shard. You never said how big the shard had to be to destroy it. We saw that all it took was a teeny tiny, like, touching of the tips. Like, just give each of these kids a shard. And wrap it in leather so they don't cut themselves. My favorite part is that at the end, when Gabriel goes to, uh, you know, destroy the bigger crystal, Mm -hmm. the shard pops out of his sleeve, which means his stupid spring-loaded knife somehow accommodated this giant crystal the size of his forearm. Yeah. How? No, I had the same fucking question. It's also, so funny. Also, this thing is sharp, we have determined. So while reading it, I kept thinking, did he just slice open his whole fucking forearm? I know! Or is there like a sheath there? Like, like why isn't his, his fucking heel of his palm cut and bleeding? Like, Give me some gore, LJ. You're good at that. (laughs) Some visceral anything. Instead, it was Rob seeing his fucking, where he held the chip in his palm and where he did self-harm injury to keep awake to watch Caitlyn. No, kid should have the fucking heel of his palm scraped off, bleeding while he's trying to, like, stab that crystal. Like, come on. He is a psychic vampire. I guarantee that Zetas is an emotional vampire like <laughs> like Colin Robinson. Just give me some blood. <laughs> but no blood. Yeah, it's very silly. I the addition of 
the fucking spring-loaded knife to Gabriel's whole deal in this book was ridiculous and hilarious. The fact that he compared himself mentally to Wolverine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, it's it's the whole superhero thing. It really must be. Oh, my gosh. It's try-hard den bullshit. It... It really is, except it never it never gets as good as the tryhard yeah. den bullshit. Because he never like suits up with all of his knives. He just has this one. Yeah, it would have been better. Go harder, LJ. Yeah, just go harder on all of this. Except for your over the top villain. He's he's fine. He's finally over the top. Like reel him in. Give him some motivation so that he's not just a mustache twirling bullshit artist. It's it's tragic. <laughs> so did you uh, want to talk about LJ's beautiful mind blending? <laughs> yeah, my theory. Let's see if I can get my head to it. Okay. All right. So my theory is that I'm going to be real mean. Mm-hmm. I think that Lisa Jane Smith doesn't think anyone understands her. Okay. That... She's so unique and different that no one has ever really been on her wavelength. So I think that she thinks if someone could just really know her, that's what love is. And that she would then, like, lust after them. Because when Kate says how she feels about Gabriel at the very end, Versus how she feels about Rob at the very end. Like, I do appreciate the idea of, well, Rob was my first love. If they had maybe, like, shown up together and were, like, already in love or something. Mm -hmm. Because you've literally known this boy for two weeks. I know the fucking compressed timeline does nothing for this. Right. So he was my first love. Your first crush, my child. from two weeks ago. Yeah. (laughs) But, like... The way she's talking about... Let's see if we can find it. Okay. She knew now that it was possible to love two people at once, because you could love them in different ways. The love she felt for Rob now was a burning tenderness, a knowledge that he was the one who taught her it was possible to love, who had melted the ice of her heart. It was strong and gentle and steady, full of admiration and the intimacy of shared likes and dislikes. It was golden and warm like a summer afternoon. That's good, actually. Like, I don't believe it because I didn't see it in the book. Mm -hmm. But like, yes, it should be built on burning tenderness and like strong and gentle and steady. You should be full of admiration and and have this intimacy because you share likes and dislikes. You don't have to. But like, Mm -hmm. it should be golden and warm like a summer afternoon. That should Mm -hmm. be the goal. Not what she then goes on to describe that it wasn't the passion and desperate depth of feeling she had for Gabriel. That's lust. Like, sure. I would assume having a little bit of that every now and then, poor, great. You're basically going from, I've got a crush on Rob, to, ah, now I feel totally fine and comfortable with him, so therefore it's not good enough. Oh, I've got a crush on Gabriel now. Yeah. Because all it tells me is that she thinks that new relationship energy is love, and that once it becomes steady and confident... 
when you are no longer questioning every fucking movement and don't have to like explain yourself and you're not trying to like know every little bit about each other that it stops being love and stops being desirable and i hate it because i do think it's in her i don't think it's the book yeah i mean especially with the way that this keeps like recurring right um yeah as a backlist thing yeah like we've seen a little bit of it in secret circle um this is exactly how it works in night world um it's like this intimate mind melding and like even in this one where uh so what caitlin says when she first tells gabriel that she loves him she says she wanted to tell him that she understood him now in a way that she never understood anyone before because she was with him it wasn't even like being in the web it was much closer than that much deeper he torn down all the barriers and put his soul into her hand like soulmates it's it's the act of knowing him on such a like metaphysically intimate level is the thing An that makes her love level. him it and it is it is impossible and like it shows up so consistently it seems like such a, a consistent like fantasy that like i don't know you know lj smith i think people ask her if she believes in soulmates i'm pretty sure she says yes you know so it definitely seems like an lj thing like i don't i don't know anything about her life but like this yeah. is definitely a fantasy um yeah and like in this case and that's okay you can have yeah. fantasy but like in this case it's a very specific fantasy where like i don't feel like love is somebody crawling into your body and sharing everything that they are with you that feels like a kind of like an unhealthy thing that i'm not interested in because there's no that's where i'm like this feels codependent (laughs) you have no secrets right like i feel like a lot of the stuff that we get or that you can find out there in romance stuff is more about like being independent people who just like each other and care for each other and have like that consistent comfortable relationship like i feel like that is a better place to sort of land on rather than i've known you for two weeks you crawled inside of me we're (laughs) we're mated now like our souls are are linked forever we're we're bonded can't love anyone else right it feels like if she had done the reverse if she'd been really attracted to gabriel Mm -hmm. and then ended up with this strong confident comfortable love with rob Mm -hmm. that would have been a nicer uh way to go or you know reverse have the strong comfortable love with gabriel's like yeah go go with whichever boy you want to go with right but like the the thing that i remember finding super romantic in this book when i was a kid is the very over the top stuff right like you'll you think mm-hmm. you'll crawl over broken glass on your belly for her is something that i still remember from this book and like when I was a kid, Aww. I'm sure it's because I thought it was intensely romantic. But, like, you know, Gabriel, like, slicing himself open and burning himself to, like, connect with Caitlin. Like, that's a lot, buddy. Like, what, what <laughs> happens right. if y'all grow up and you're different people and this boy has fucking sliced himself open for you in the past? Like, what, what kind of fucking weight does that put on this 
teenage relationship with a kid you've known yeah. for two weeks. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, it's, you know, it's a teenage romance. So, like, you're not really meant to carry it into the future. You're not meant to think about their future at all. No. <laughs> no. But, like... They all stop at that free- freeze frame. Right. That is when the book ends, except that LJ did, of course, tell us in October 2010 that she was writing a sequel to this. So... Wait. Wait, really? Yeah, Blindsight, remember? She has a sequel to literally everything. We couldn't find the original place that she said that, but it was circulated on a lot of the, like, wikias and stuff that she did announce it. Okay, now that I've read them, do you remember anything about what it was she said she had planned? We couldn't even find a summary, just a statement. Oh, wow. Yeah. So weird. So very weird. And, like, I mean, I do understand why this one doesn't get talked about. Mm -hmm. This feels like the kind of book that if a publisher brought it to me to give content editing or feedback on, that I would be like, Senna, I need to vent. (laughs) You know, it it feels like she didn't know where she was going. Mm -hmm. And like throws in all these things at the end that are not twists, but I think she thinks they're twists. Mm-hmm. It's like, there was zero foreshadowing. You just dumped it on us in book three. Like, yeah, it's not how you do a twist. Yeah, I I mentioned to you that to me, this feels like how I would go into a nano project, right? Where I've got like mm. the basic idea of the beginning and where I want to end up and some scenes that I want to hit along the way. And then in the middle, there's just like, I, I don't know. And they go to the bathroom at this part. Um, and then in this part, they we'll just go... do a road trip and describe every rest stop because it's nano and I need to just write words. <laughs> right. I need words. It definitely felt like, um, you know, some specific like beats being connected by some very thin filler. Oh, that just reminded me how we get such a description in this one that we could probably take, you know, back in 90, 92, 94, whatever. Mm-hmm. The exact bus that she took from Marisol's to the <laughs> institute. Uh-huh. But we didn't get to see the scenes with Gabriel meeting Mr. Z or the kids meeting Marisol's parents. No. But we know the exact bus that she took. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're here, I can finally say the thing, which is that it's such a shame that this book ended up being so weak because this is like. The only one of LG's trilogies where the heroine ends up with the bad guy. And it's so sad. It is. And because we know this was her Damon one. And I know I made a bunch of predictions at the end of one and the end of two. I feel Mm -hmm. like I did a pretty good job Mm -hmm. on on guessing those. But like, yeah, it was pretty clear that it's like, well, you're headed towards Gabriel. And it makes sense now why she wanted to head towards Damon. That that was always her plan. But yeah, it is such a shame because, you know, Jenny could have ended up with Julian. I That's the bummer part. Like, I think for me, this was like, Jenny doesn't end up with Julian. Uh, Elena doesn't end up with Damon. But at least in this book, the fucking bland ass good guy is the one that gets dumped. But it's okay. He has a girlfriend in Anna who's literally just been there waiting. Right. Like we had, we had a literally a, a lamp in place for that. 
But yeah, no, so like, that's what I remember from this book. This is the one where she gets with the brooding bad boy. And that is what I wanted in every single prior trilogy. Of course. Thank you uh, for finally doing it. And it's such a bummer that it's such a weak character and such a weak relationship. And the problem is that Gabriel is just a 17, 18 year old kid not a 300-year-old vampire or a millennia's-old ice gin. Yeah. So he's just a kid. Yeah. I think that's also Secret Circle's problem. Yeah. They're all just kids. So it's weird that, like, the ones, the two that we have where there's immortal beings to be sweeping these literal children off their sweet little feet, <laughs> to take them away that that doesn't happen so like kind of good on you lj for not having <laughs> right <laughs> you know the thing that i don't like but at the same time it makes your your bad boy kind of bad girl kind of good girl couple very bland yeah lj understands the importance of age appropriate relationships and i and i appreciate that in her <laughs> but man then you know they come out like this yeah and, and it didn't have to be it really needed to be, here's my 730-page manuscript. Whew. Welp. <laughs> Let's get cracking. Yeah, right. It's not it's done. To tighten it up. We've only just begun. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that scene in the club when the kids go out after, or the dark children's, go out after LaShawn has been killed really briefly. Like, first off... The whole LaShawn thing was very strange because Kate acted like he mattered and he never did. Mm-hmm. And she's all like, oh, LaShawn, I, I liked you. I truly did. You were three descriptive words. Yeah. But I liked you. There's a LaShawn. Oh, my God. I literally opened to the page. Cool. Oh, LaShawn, I liked you. I really liked you. You were arrogant and angry and impatient. And I really, really liked you. You were alive. And then she describes him dead. And now Caitlin had to go and celebrate. Where? And like, she talks about like a LaShawn shaped hole in the world. And mm-hmm. anybody who looks this witchy must be able to call down a curse. That's what I'm going to do. Somehow, I'll make them all pay LaShawn. I'll avenge your death. I promise. I promise. Like, they didn't kill Anna. They killed LaShawn. Right. Who you were afraid of. This dude you met for 20 minutes. Yeah. You didn't know his fucking name until three days ago. And anyway, they go out to the scene that um, tells so much about the fact that LJ Smith is like a white lady from the burbs. Mm -hmm. Because they go to this club where everybody's all like dressed up. They've got like funky hair and funky clothes and piercings and tattoos. And to me, it just felt like hanging out with like my friends and their extended friend group but like at a club as opposed to our houses Mm -hmm. where it rang very much like a queer space and instead everyone was described as like dangerous and it was scary and that my thought had been that like you know if holly black had done this scene caitlin still would have been trying to you know still still been nervous about what just happened, but, like, fascinated by this club they've come to Mm -hmm. and kind of drawn into it. Oh, and you had commented that it was because Holly knows these people and LJ does not. 
Yeah, no, I don't think this is her circle. <laughs> yeah. Anytime she tries to talk about someone who is very clearly not in her circle, they're always described this way. They're always very, like, reactionary, scary, cishet white lady being like, oh my god, these freaks. And I would have wanted better from these fucking vampire witches and djinn and psychics. Like, you can't do that. And then call freak on the kids who are probably fucking reading your books. Oh, and also one of the dudes from the the school, like, attempts to psychically rape Caitlin because of course someone does again. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just constantly happens. Constant, constant. So probably the last thing that I think I have to chat about mm-hmm. is the weird way that Caitlin does connect with Gabriel. Mm-hmm. How platonic it is. Okay. That it's not sexy. Yeah, no, none of this is. Anytime it's happening in the second book, you know, she was like, doobie-doo, going through with it because, you know, I'm helping him, my friend, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then when it happens here, it's very platonic. And I enjoyed that platonicness. But to have her then be like, oh, I feel so connected to you was much more brotherly and it was just really weird and uncomfortable yeah i was thinking about again this versus forbidden game because it's obviously the easiest comparison Mm -hmm. um i was just thinking about like even just generally how much more feels weird saying sensual about a book featuring a bunch of teenagers but genuinely like that's what she's aiming for yeah there's a lot of focus on like sensation and feelings remember like julian's cat paw on jenny's hair like yeah he touched her with her consent right and she describes those feelings and like remembering like jenny getting in the pool naked and describing the way that felt like there was more of a sense of like physical And maybe it's because this series is more focused on that emotional psychic connection. Maybe. Like, maybe that's why it was that way. Maybe it's just built from the start. Yeah, for this emotional exploration, right? Maybe that's something we should look at in um, Nightworld, right? Where they do have that, the soulmate thing built in. We should see if, like... See if they get physical, sensual, of the sense variety. Right. Well, because, like, again, Caitlin's an artist, so... I understand that she would be mentally in the world, but I do feel like she would want to capture the texture Mm -hmm. and that she might touch things. Like, I don't know. It's just, it feels at odds. It makes me wonder if like, you know, because obviously we were talking earlier about the way that the soulmate thing is LJ's like ideal, right? Maybe, maybe this is just what she was stumbling towards. Hmm. That this is a piece between Nightworld Yeah, and I wonder if once we get to this place of mind-melding being the be-all, end-all of a relationship, I wonder if the physical stuff is going to fall by the wayside. I honestly can't remember. I mean, I guess we'll see. I hope it doesn't, because it was much better in Forbidden Game. Yeah. But but with this one, Gabriel's not trying to get with Caitlyn in a way. Like, it, it feels like it comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. because he's all like no i don't like her no i can't like her oh i could like her but i won't 
Yeah, there's a lot of Gabriel doing the Stefan thing and like denying him his his feelings for Elena or Elena, not Elena, Caitlin. <laughs> um, it's okay, I almost said Jenny. <laughs> but like he's he is a different character from um, you know, the dynamic between him and Caitlin is different than it has been previously because he's trying to maintain his independent cat lifestyle and (laughs) you know here's this girl who keeps wanting to pet him and you know he likes it (laughs) but he doesn't want to like it and that's something that the other relationships they have always been like the the dude pursuing the girl i guess yeah i guess not with elena like she definitely had to pursue stefan but stefan wanted her like i don't know it's just there's something about it's not clicking yeah there's definitely a different dynamic here where gabriel is trying to you know maintain his distance from her and like he says that he wants her he says in this book he says he liked her from literally the moment that they met (laughs) Gotta throw that soulmate shit in. <laughs> like, he says this stuff, but again, and maybe it is that lack of, like, sensory, sensual, Caitlin's lack of interest in him until this book, but it just, it really doesn't click the way that it has previously. Yeah. I definitely think watching for it in the next series will be important. I'm very curious, because there are relationships that I remember very fondly from the uh night world series so well i hope that they work (laughs) a lot better i think the last thing i want to say is just a tiny quibble that at one point rob is like kate we gotta go they've killed Lashawn and marin and who knows who else they could kill and she's like no i have to go back and try instead of saying no rob that won't work brie can douse people's location that's how they've been killing people if I leave, mm-hmm. they'll just fucking find me, and then they'll find you. So we have to end this. Like, it was right there, LJ. <laughs> just not using the information that you've literally just given us a couple chapters ago. And that feels like what kept happening throughout this entire series. Yeah, no, it's it's very haphazard. Very first draft, you know, obviously it wasn't, you know, clearly they did fucking revisions, right? But it just, it feels very shoddy. It is not her best work. Currently, in my opinion, her worst work. Fair enough. It is much more boring uh, than I remembered it being. And I read it again, not that long ago. I do wonder if it's that we've been more critical of stuff than when you're just, like, reading for enjoyment, or if it's been reading it in backlist order. I don't know. I mean, like, the the plot stuff was so familiar to me that I, and I'm generally somebody who, like, if you tell me something in a book, I'm like, sure, yep, that's fine. You, <laughs> you told me that's how it works, and I will accept that. Like, I have to actively work to not just accept things that books tell me. So... No. Uh, but like this kind of shit where I like I've read it a hundred times and I know it from when I was a kid. Like I don't if unless we're doing this, I don't really think about it like that. Yeah. And I'm sad about it because you were super excited to show me this book. 
I, you know, it was the one where the bad guy got the girl. It's very sad that it sucks. I'm I'm very sad because he was not, he wasn't a bad guy like Julian. Mm -hmm. And he obviously wasn't a bad guy like Damon. He was just a cartoon bad guy. It was just a kind of moody, a kind of moody teenager who did also murder people. So there is that, you know. That is true. Which we never bring up in this fucking book. No. Like, <laughs> casually, you know, like, he, they were a self-defense. Uh, but still, you know, he's, he's actually done shit. And then survival. It's all forgivable. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to see him more of a bad guy. I, there was a lot of stuff in here that LJ could have worked with to make him a more interesting character. And again, because of the haphazard nature of it, it just did not manifest. I stand by liking Caitlyn. I think she takes the least shit out of any of LJ's people, and I respect that. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen more of this book, Caitlyn, in book one, so that she could have grown even more in two and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd mentioned last time the idea of her being a good foil. Compliment. Yeah, there you go. That she complimented him. And I feel like I would have liked to have seen that character more earlier. Like I said, having her be like a kind of on the fence girl as opposed to just a nice girl. Because the, the Caitlyn we meet in Ohio versus the Caitlyn she becomes in California immediately mm-hmm. are very different. And like the next time we see her actually not taking shit, she's fucking choking out Lydia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this one, she doesn't take a lot of shit. So it's like, it's good that she stands up to Rob and says, no, I get to decide what I do good that she's sneaking around trying to do stuff like she could be a super good character i think it's that for me with her Mm -hmm. i think even in concept i think that if you if you lay out like the beats of like caitlin being like a a a more likable jessica and like coming to san francisco meeting like the first boy who doesn't immediately grab her ass or whatever and like having a crush on him and feeling all of these like first crush feelings that she doesn't know how to handle because she's never dealt with it before. Like all of that totally makes sense. Like having that history of being more cynical, being more suspicious, not trusting people yeah. the way that the others do. Like all of that makes sense. It's just not well executed. Yeah, absolutely. She needed she needed a little more time to have her own walls up. Mm-hmm. I think is what it is. She's just immediately open and everybody loves her. And she's kind of the de facto leader. Yeah. <laughs> like she has a lot of Elena-ness to her in that regard. Mm-hmm. Where it's just everybody loves Caitlyn. She's in charge and we'll do what she says without saying that. Yeah. I think that I can't like Caitlyn the level that you're at. Mm-hmm. Because I just see too much of LJ Smith on the page. And it's hard to get a real grasp of Caitlin's character beyond her, like, sinking into whatever boy she's attaching herself to at the time. Mm -hmm. Because even her moment of standing up to Rob and saying, no, you're not carrying me back out of here, was the beginning of her and Rob breaking up. So, like, I don't know what would happen if she stood up to Gabriel. I think the idea is supposed to be that she has been standing up to Gabriel and that's why they work versus her and Rob. Would have liked to have seen it after they were like 
more acknowledging of each other's feelings. Well, that happens literally on the last page. So we have no chance, no chance to see them as a functioning couple. Yeah. Would have been nice. Yep. All right. So in conclusion, I don't recommend this book to anybody. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of a bummer because it is, again, the one where the bad boy wins happens so rarely. <laughs> uh, but Sorry, bad boys everywhere. You get the worst book. Right? I know. Just, just you know, read Forbidden Game and then look for some good fanfic, I guess. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> read Forbidden Game and then pretend Julian doesn't die. I mean, really, it, it is just Forbidden Game at this point, right? Because, like, yeah. Vampire Diaries was not good. It was more fun than the rest of them have been, but it wasn't Vampire good. Diaries was super ridiculous. It was, it was fun. I enjoy thinking about Vampire Diaries and how ridiculous <laughs> it is. I know. I have such a sinking feeling, too, that whenever we get to those fucking 2010s books, it's not going to be fun anymore. I know, because it's gonna not just not gonna be that. No, it's, it's gonna be LJ again. Uh, Secret Circle was pretty boring. Forbidden Game yeah, was don't the only actually good. Remember one. much of it? Forbidden yep. Game is excellent. And now here we are at a uh, Dark Visions, and it's the worst one. So, yeah. fingers crossed, the Night World, uh, you know, pulls its weight. Right. I really fucking need Strange Vampire. Is that what it's called? Secret Vampire. Secret Vampire. I need Secret Vampire to be f- at least Vampire Diaries fun. I'm going to get out here and hype up Daughters of Darkness. It's the best one. I'm just going to oh, lay it out that, there what now. Book is that? That's book two. Oh, all right. Well, that's exciting. I'm lay it out here now. That's my fave. Uh, if that one's bad, we're fucked. Just real oh. bad. At least we'll know by book two. <laughs> we'll know by book two. This is the peak. Is it bad? Uh oh. And when we get there, because I'm looking, I can see the covers of the Omnibi mm-hmm. on the back. It's like Secret Vampire, Daughters of Darkness, and Spellbinder. So, like, we'll do that as a season. And then we'll do Dark Angel, The Chosen, and Soulmate as a season. Mm-hmm. And then Huntress, Black Dawn, Witch Light, and a special bonus episode on Strange Fate. We need to compile all of the excerpts that they've thrown out there over the years and see what we can put together of Strange Fate. There's one at the back of this omnibus. I know. I started reading it and then I got bored. Oh no! I obviously did not read it because that is nine books away and I need to not touch it. Fair enough. But like two, four, six, six pages right there. It's pretty hefty. Yeah. The last thing I want to do, because I promise we do it in the first episode, we're just going to fucking lightning round through it. Uh, I do have that October 22nd, 2000 list of who the internet fandom would have cast in <gasps> the movie yes! version of oh my God, yes. this series, captured on uh, February 29th, 2000. So it was probably posted before then. That's just what I have on the way back machine. Awesome. All right. I'm ready. Oh, this was from um the old Nightworld Circle Daybreak, nightworld.net. So, for Caitlin, there are a bunch of names. I'm only going to read like the most popular ones. With 5 votes, the most popular Allison Hannigan. She's a redhead. Okay. That's the All only right, quali- she's a qualification. Yeah. Yep. With 2 votes in second plate Kate Winslet. 
also a redhead, as it turns out. Okay. Uh, Other honorable mentions, uh, Laura Pepron, Alicia Silverstone, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Drew Barrymore, and Jennifer Love Hewitt. What the fuck? For Anna, Ollie, guess the number of indigenous people on this list. Two. Zero. Uh, You've got (gasps) Tatiana M. Ali, Jordana Brewster, and Allison Hannigan. What? 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 Oh, God. Okay. Wow. For Gabriel. I forgot it was the year 2000. Oh, yeah. So, for Gabriel, top at three votes, Johnny Depp. Sec- uh, what? He's just so old, even in the year 2000. <laughs> I know. But you've got, you know, you've got those 21 Jump Street fans, I guess. Or maybe Edward Scissorhands. Maybe that was it. Probably. Uh, In second place, with three votes. Two votes, I'm sorry. David Boreanaz. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Uh, Other notable entries. Skeet Ulrich. James Marsden. Which is valid. Okay. Uh, I can Josh, see that one. Josh Hartnett. He's still old, but whatever. Yeah. But he was making teen oh, movies wait, in the 90s. wait. Did you say Josh Hartnett? I did say Josh Hartnett. I think he would have had, like, a good run of it, because he, he didn't become, like, super popular until a little while later. He's not a good broody one, though. He's, no, that's that's not really his thing. Um, Jared Leto. Gross. Uh, yeah. Matt Damon and Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr., <laughs> And somebody put Timothy Oliphant in here, which, like, he's way too good wow. for whatever this would have been. This series, right? Yeah. Uh, for Rob, we have only four people. Gabriel obviously had the most the most options. Clearly. Uh, for Rob, we have the top vote, Matt Damon. <laughs> this is exactly who I was thinking. Exactly, isn't it? When they made that, when you gave me that list, I was like... Matt Damon doesn't belong in that list. He belongs in the Rob list. <laughs> so we've got... Actually, these all have an equal amount of votes, so you just haven't marked them. Uh, okay. Matt Damon, James Vanderbeek, uh, Ryan Felipe. Oh. See, I would make him be Gabriel. That He would be a good Gabriel. Well, mm, yeah. No, Cruel intentions. I, I agree. Uh, some guy named Scott Vicarious, who I've never Don't heard know. of. I'm going to Google him real quick. Hold on. Me too. Uh, he was in Whatever It Takes. Maybe that's it. Uh, anyway, let's see who we got next. For Lewis, Ollie, guess how many? Mm. One. <laughs> guess how many Asian Please, folks? please at least one. I can't believe that fucking Heath Ledger isn't on this list. I know, right? 10 Things I Hate About You just came out the year before. I know. So for Lewis, we have Freddie Prince Jr., a <sighs> guy named Vikas Adam. Who I can only find on Google as like an audiobook narrator. <laughs> I mean, he has some stuff on his IMDb, but I genuinely don't know where anybody would have found this guy. And then, of course, Jet Li. Like, obviously. Oh my god, I was literally gonna say, <laughs> just tell me it's not Jet Li. <laughs> well, it is. It is Jet But Li, I was like, actually. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut and wait and see what they got to say. Yep. Uh, let's see. For Lydia, just Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> For Marisol, you have Jordana Brewster, who I'm pretty sure is not Latina, but whatever. Uh, Joyce Piper, Denise Crosby. Okay. That's interesting. And for Mr. Zetas, you have three votes. Sean Connery, obviously. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, Jack Nicholson, and Anthony Stewart Head. Ugh. 
All right. Give me the movie where Sarah Michelle Gellar plays Caitlin and David Boreanaz mm-hmm. plays Gabriel. <laughs> and, and it's actually just Anthony Buffy. Stewart Head plays Mr. Zetas. <laughs> That's, I mean, they're, they go through, like, the rest of the cast, like, Tamsin and the Dark Psychics and stuff. And, like, most of them are just Sarah Michelle Gellar or Charisma Carpenter, so... I'm surprised Charisma Carpenter wasn't put in for Anna, considering she has dark that hair. she's supposed to be beautiful and dark hair. Right. And, like, they're already forgetting the part that she's native. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that was the funny. 90s fandom fan casting for uh, the Dark Visions beautiful. film. Thank you for that You're welcome. awfulness in my life. Mm-hmm. As if the book wasn't bad enough. <laughs> It's okay. I'm glad to have been able to make my own images in my head. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're done. We yep. finished this we're fucking done. trilogy, Ollie. We can oh, move on. Fuck. And we will announce that in our chillest tier. Mm-hmm. So you'll get that before anybody else does if you are a top tier patron. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Backlist Podcast. Find me there too, Olivia Hennis. And how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at endless underscore run. And you can find the podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash backlist and chill. And come check us out on Spotify. Nice and easy to listen to us there. And come chat with us. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Did you read this fucking book? <laughs> Did you read all three of these fucking books? We're so sorry. So sorry. <laughs> I just call them Tamir. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, Timorous? Maybe it's non, non-Timorous Tamir. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw they had got a bunch of books because they were going to be laid up for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw this omnibus. Yep. I'm so sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. So, so Our sorry. Bad. You spent monies. Hopefully it's used and you spent like a dollar. I think but Forbidden so- Game was in there. So at least there's that. It was. Yeah, no, I was super excited because there was this and I think the Kiyoshara and and Forbidden Game. So thank, thank goodness you've got Forbidden Game in there and I hope it was fun. I yep. hope you enjoyed it. Oh, wait, we know because we watched because they, they live tweeted about it. Oh, yeah, Forbidden they did Game. like it. I'm so glad. Clap, clap, clap. So that was good. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I'm sorry if you read this one. <sighs> so well, sorry. You know, just it's awful. just pretend it's Julian. You know, I think I think that's what I did. Just pretend it's Julian. That would make sense. Just being like, no, it's Julian. You're like, yeah, all right, sure. I believe you. Yep, human AU. Yeah. <laughs> See, that would have been better. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.